Alright. Key to being a disciple maker, number one, you must be saved. You must be a disciple yourself. Point number two, you must spend alone time with God. You must spend alone time with God. In Luke chapter 6, in verse number 13, let's see. We will go with heaven. Start us off. Read what you got. 16? 13. 13. When morning came, he called his disciples in and chose 12 of them, whom he also designated apostles. Go ahead and keep reading. So he calls the disciples. This is what Jesus is doing. What are the disciples' names? What are they? Simon, his brother Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Simon, who was called Zealot, Judas, son of James, and Judas is now we know, looking back, how important the disciples' role was in regards uh, to the gospel, in regards to the Bible, in regards to a lot of different things. But we miss something that's very important in the verse prior to when Jesus calls the disciples. This is really cool. In verse number 12 it says, And it came to pass in those days that he, meaning Jesus, went out into a mountain to pray continued all night in prayer to God. Did you know that Jesus spent all night praying before he chose the disciples? If you yourself is, are not spending alone time with God and you're trying to disciple others, man, you're destined for failure. Jesus himself prayed with God all night long before choosing the 12 disciples. Okay. With that being said, if you are going to be a true disciple maker, you yourself have to find time to spend alone time with God. Okay? Point number three. We're going to go to Mark chapter three. Mark chapter three. I know that was pretty quick and to the point, but I must spend alone time with God. Point number three is going to be in Mark. Y'all go ahead and flip there. Mark chapter three. Matthew, Mark. Mark chapter three. Mark chapter three. Mark chapter three. We're going to be starting in verse number. 13. Mark chapter 3, verse number 13. Look, we're definitely going to go a lot slower pace today because I just want you guys to see the points. I want y'all to see the references in Scripture for yourself. I don't want y'all to miss anything. I don't want any of you guys to be confused. I want it to be very direct. For you to be a disciple maker, you yourself have to be a disciple. You yourself must be saved. Number two, you must spend alone time with God. And number three, I'm not going to give you the point. We're going to read the references and then I'm going to tell you it. Verse number 13, go ahead and start reading for us, Jacob. Alright, verses 15 through 19. You want to read those, Allie? And to have authority to drive out demons, he appointed the twelve. To Simon he gave the name Peter, and to James, the son of Zebedee, and to his brother John, he gave them the name... Anyway. <laughs> Andrew, Philip, and Bartholomew, Matthew, and Thomas, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Zedadius, and Simon, the Zealot, and Judas, Esherot, who also betrayed. At the very end, what does it say about Judas? What does it say again at the very end, Allie? That Judas does what? Betrays him. He betrays him. We're going to backtrack and go to verse number 14. So this is point number three. For you to be a disciple maker, you must spend time with the disciples that you're discipling. Okay? You might think that it just seems very generic, but I'm telling you, 
You have to spend time with them. In verse number 14, it says, He ordained the twelve. And the, what's the very next phrase after that? Do you all see how important this is? After he called them, after he spent alone time with God, and then he calls these disciples, he specifically says what to them? What are they going to do? What is he going to do with them? What is he going to say? They're going to accompany him. You're going to be with me. You're going to be my side. Even the one who is going to betray me, even the one who's not going to take any of the words that I'm about to say to heart, I'm still going to invest my time into you. You are going to have to be willing to invest time into people who may not listen to you. You're going to have to be willing to invest your time into someone who may not take the words that you say seriously. Although Jesus knew that Judas was going to betray him, he still says, Judas, hey, look, you're going to accompany. You're going to be with me. Even though I know you're going to reject the truth, you're going to be with me. To be a true disciple maker, you will... You must understand, it will cost you some time. Your own time. Okay? With that being said, that doesn't mean you have to spend every waking hour with the people you're discipling. That doesn't mean uh, that your whole life has to revolve around them and you forget your family, you forget your siblings. Nothing like that. But what I am saying is if you're not spending time with the people you're discipling and then all of a sudden you want to open up and be like, oh, by the way, you know, your life should look like this. They're, they're probably not going to want to hear what you have to say because you don't know them, they don't know you. What does it really matter? Okay? So to be a true disciple maker, you must spend time with them. So number one, you must be saved. Number two, you must spend alone time with God. Number three, you must spend time with the disciples. And we see throughout Scripture how many different times that Jesus specifically would go to a disciple's house. He would specifically take the disciples to see something miraculous. A lot of times you would see the disciples with Jesus. But along that path, if you were to read the gospel for yourself and you keep going through it, even though he spent time with the disciples, and it seems like all his time, you'll see so many other times where it says, Jesus went alone to pray. Jesus went alone to the mountain. Jesus went alone to talk to God. Jesus found time, despite the fact that the 12 disciples were pulling him in all different directions, to still spend time with God. Okay? Uh, Point number four. Point number four. Here we go. Flip to Colossians chapter three. Colossians chapter three. We did Colossians this Sunday morning. I thought it was really good, but we're going to be in chapter 3 today. We were in chapter 1 this past Sunday. But Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, it's going to go Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, then Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. With all this being said, I hope you remember that Jesus' last words to the disciples was to go ye therefore and make, what was it? Disciples. Okay, so when I'm talking about being a disciple maker, I'm not just simply saying if you decide to be a disciple maker. No, if you've given your life to Christ and you're a disciple, to be in God's will, you yourself will be a disciple maker. Okay? So, point number four. You must imitate, do a slash, model Christ. You must imitate slash model Christ. In Colossians 3, verse number 1, uh, let's see here. Uh, McKenna, are you there? Oh, yes. Verse number 1, what does it say? So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Wow, okay. Now, this past Sunday morning, we talked about what it looks like when you study the Bible for yourself and you read a passage. You need to identify who the audience is, right? So who's the audience here? What's at the very beginning of this verse? What does it say? Who is, who's the audience? There's two different audiences. What are the two different audiences? People who are been with Christ, have a relationship with Christ, and those who don't. So in the beginning of this verse, what does it say? 
people are with Christ. Because if you've been risen with Christ, so he's talking to believers, this is very important. So what does it say here, uh, McKenna? In verse number 2, if you have been risen with Christ, to seek those things which are above, meaning if you're a born-again believer, if you're someone who has a relationship with Christ, your mindset should be on the things above, the things that are um, of God's glory, the thing that is of God's will, and to be a disciple-maker is God's will. Verse number 2, what does it say? Keep going, McKenna. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. Mm, Okay, verse number 3. Whoa, wait a second. So is... Are we talking to dead people here? Well, what's being said? This is important. This upcoming Sunday, we're going to baptize people, right? And when we baptize people, what do we do? Uh, we'll do the demonstration again. Dump them in the water. Now, what does that symbolize? Outwardly really showing what is inwardly taking place. So when we bring them down, what are we doing? We're symbolizing that they are now what? Dead to sin and to raise to walk in newness of life. Now go ahead and read verse number 1 of Colossians chapter 3. What does it say, McKenna? So if you have been raised with Christ... Whoa! Now does it all make sense, guys? Why is baptism important? You're outwardly symbolizing what is inwardly taking place. So here, you have been risen with Christ. So that's why it's talking about your dead to self, meaning that old self is dead. It is dead. It's died. I don't know. I keep saying the same word. And your mindset now that you're risen in Christ should be of things above, okay? So you yourself must be an imitator of Christ. We're going to keep reading because in verse number four it says what, Ryder? When Christ who is in your life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Well, that's a promise if you're a born-again believer that you'll be in glory with Jesus one day in heaven. Verse number five. Go ahead. Oh, okay, this is so good. I'm sorry, this is such... Put to death. Put to death the old self. Don't let the old self have any dominion in your life if you have been risen with Christ, okay? So what is it going to say here to put to death those things? What are, the, what are some uh, examples it gives? I, I love this. No wiggle room. What does it say, Ryder? What are some of the examples? Uh, sexual immortality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed, which is adultery. If any of those things are a main thought process in your head, you're not thinking about things above. Okay? I'm not saying if there's a temptation to think on those things that, that you're not right with God, but if that's what you're dwelling on in your mind, you're not right with God. Those are not things above. Because in verse number uh, 6, what does it say, Ryder? Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life that you once lived. Okay, before you give your life to Christ, you were an imitator of the world, you were an imitator of sin. Now that you've been risen with Christ, you're now an imitator of Christ. Okay, keep reading with it, right? Now you must rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. Wow, okay, so listen, how much wiggle room do we really have here in regards to playing with sin if we've been risen with Christ? Not much. Not much. Now, does that mean someone who is saved, there might be a chance that they slip into one of these sins? Yes, very much so. But if you're a born-again believer, you will never be satisfied staying in sin now that you've tasted and have a true relationship with Christ. Does that make sense? Because once you have a relationship with Christ, that will never be taken away from you. But then what can happen when you do have a relationship with Christ, if you do allow sin to enter back in, that fellowship with God's going to be broken. Okay? So, we keep reading, but verse number 9, was it say again there? Did you read that verse, right? Okay. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with this practice. Okay, verse number 10. 
and have put on the new self. Oh, okay, okay. So you put on the new self. All right, so what does it say, writer? Sorry, I keep, sorry. Because the, the point, what is point number four? Hear me, what is point number four? Because it's like, just drive it all home. What is point number four? To be a disciple maker, you have to. You have to imitate, you have to model Christ. So what does it say in that verse? Keep reading. Which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Wow. So now that you've been risen in Christ, you're now imitating who? Christ, that's exactly right. Now we're going to drop down to verse number 12. What does that look like? Go ahead and read 12 through 17. There's a bunch of verses. Bailey, you want to read it? Are you there? 12 through 17. Yeah. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you will call to peace. And be thankful. Let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Well, isn't that cool? What are we going to do this Sunday? We're going to give testimony how God's going to work in our life. We're going to sing songs. We're going to sing praises to God. That's pretty cool. I just want to let you guys know what you guys are going to be, what you are doing right now, and what you're going to be doing this upcoming Sunday is strictly according to the Word of God. That's awesome, okay? Keep going with it, babe. Sing to God with gratitude in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Okay, very, very good. So, point number four to be a disciple maker, you must imitate, you must model after Christ, okay? I know the question might already be hitting your head already because you're already in your mind thinking, what, I'm not perfect, okay? That's usually was the first scapegoat, the first excuse I would always make was, well, I know he's saying that I'm supposed to be like Christ, but I'm never going to be like Christ, so it's okay if I have like a sin I keep in my back pocket or a sin that I'll return to later kind of deal because, you know what, I'm never going to be like Jesus. But the example I was going to give you guys in regards to being an imitator of Christ is not saying that you have to be perfect as Jesus was perfect because there would be nobody who could possibly meet up to that expectation. But what that does look like is this. For instance, um, let's see. I would say generally in this room, everybody kind of looks different, right? Everybody has different qualities. You know, some people are taller. Some people are shorter. Some people have darker hair, lighter hair. Some people can grow facial hair. Some people can't. You know, some people, um, I don't know, just different things, okay? But this is, I think, is very interesting. Do do y'all see? Y'all see what I got on tonight? Ben, do you, do you mind standing up? Put, put your hat on. What you got on tonight? Me and Ben are, are very different. All right? We come from many different backgrounds. All right, He's got very dark, short hair, and he's got a good hairline, and he's got freckles, and I don't have freckles. He's shorter. I'm taller. But at the end of the day, Ben's imitating me, and no one has a question about it, and I'm imitating Ben, and no one has a question about it. I'm not perfect just like Ben. Ben's not perfect just like me, but without a shadow of a doubt, if you're looking at me, you see I'm imitating him. If you see him, you know he's imitating me. That's what Christianity looks like. You will not be perfect as Christ is, but when someone is looking at you, they have no doubt who you're imitating, Christ and Christ alone. And whatever you do in word and deed, do all for the glory of God. That was the last verse we just read in Colossians. To be a true disciple maker, you have to imitate Christ. That does not mean you're going to be perfect. That does not mean that you can't fail. But that does mean, without a shadow of a doubt, when someone's looking at you, they know that you're a follower of Christ. Thank you very much, Ben. 
And honestly, I didn't know I was going to do that until I just, we, we had matching shirts tonight. It just worked out good. All right. And for those who want to know where you can get one of these, maybe those, because it says unathletic department, maybe someone on the sardine watch who may not want to spike that game. All right. Oh, we got them at five below. Five below. Okay. Five bucks. All right. Best five bucks you'll ever spend. All right. Point number five. Here we go. John chapter 15. Y'all flip there. All right. I hope this is flowing with you guys. This is no uh, secret sauce. This is no. Uh, I don't know how else to explain it. It's just what the Word of God says in regards to being a disciple, in regards to being a follower of Christ. Verse, John chapter 15. Go ahead and flip there for me. This is point five. This is point five. Y'all have done such a good job of listening. John chapter 15. Does anybody have any questions so far? John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. John chapter 15. We will have... Zoe, are you there? Alright, John chapter 15. Go ahead and read verses number 3 through 5 for me. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me and I in you. Just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains on the vine, neither can you unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him so earlier on, one of our points was to be a disciple maker. You must spend alone time with God. Here in John chapter 15, you're going to see it uh, emphasized that if you don't remain in Christ, you will not bear fruit. Okay. So point number five is to be a disciple maker. You must bear fruit. I know it was probably about a year ago we did a lesson on bearing fruit, and I think we called it Starving Friends or something like that. But as a disciple maker, you must bear fruit. And, just as an extra, you cannot bear fruit if you don't abide in Christ, if you don't remain in Him. That's why it's so important that you spend alone time with God. Okay? Because you cannot bear fruit if you're not spending alone time with God. Because He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same brings forth much fruit. For without me... You can do nothing. Verse number 6 through 7. Let's go there. Ava, are you there? Which one? 6 through 7. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up and thrown into a fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. All right, and verse number 8. What does it say, Amelia? My father is glorified. Whoa, I'm sorry. This just all makes too much sense. So it says, my father is going to be glorified. In Colossians, the last verse we read, and whatsoever you do in word or in deed, do all for the glory of God. What does it say there? Herein, my father is glorified. glorified. Okay, so whatever you do in word or deed, do all for what? God's glory, basically. And here it says, herein, my father is glorified if you what? By this, that you produce much fruit and provide fruit. Wow, isn't that cool? You glorify God by bearing fruit. And what does it say at the end of that? That you what? So shall ye, what does it say? Be my disciples. It's very important for you to bear fruit as a disciple. Okay, real quick. What does it mean for you as a born-again believer to bear fruit? What does that really mean? What does it truly mean to bear fruit? I know in Galatians we have the fruit of the Spirit, right? But what does it truly mean for us as Christians to bear fruit? 
work out the will of God in your life. All right, work out the will of God in your life. That's good. That's good. Good point. We're good there. Allie, keep going. What you got? To know the word of God. To know the word of God. All right, that's like, another one. What else? Be that light to others. Like show that there's something different about you. Be that light to others. Show that so it's different about you. Anything else? Whatever you got. Those are good. Those are good answers. Disciple people. That's another good one. All right, disciple people. What are some other things? Spread the gospel. Spread the gospel. Those are all good things. All right. Kindness. Kindness. All right, that's a good. Y'all said really, really good things. I'm going to go to the root of it. Y'all kind of show what it looks like when you apply it. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patient kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. What it means for you to bear fruit, it means you are exhibiting the Spirit of God, those things. Meaning you have so much love, it's pouring over into someone else. You have so much kindness in your heart because of your relationship with God, it's pouring into someone else. You now have patience now that you have a relationship with God, it's pouring over in the people that you, that you are surrounding you. Because for you to bear fruit and it's not pluckable and it's not usable, it is vain and it's for your own glory. But when you're bearing fruit, the fruit of the Spirit, and you are administering it out to other people, that's giving God glory. Okay? Because I don't want y'all to think that just means you got to look good. You know, show up to church, dress nice, you know, maybe say the right things at the right places, but then uh, when you're in a different place, you speak a different way. No, this means your overwhelming Spirit is exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit whether you're at home, whether you're at school, whether you're at church, wherever you are, okay? And it's pouring over into someone else because to be a disciple maker, you must have fruit that you can share to others. All right, verse, uh, point number six. Let's go to the John chapter 21. I wasn't sure if I was going to do this one, but I, I kind of already told y'all how many, uh, I think I told y'all how many points I was going to have, maybe at the very beginning. Seven. Yeah, so I had to. All right, John chapter 21, John chapter 21. All right, I'm going to go a little bit quicker. Y'all been doing good on time. We just have two more points, two more points. I want this to be something that you can take from here and you can really examine yourself as you call yourself a disciple of Christ, a saved individual, a believer in Christ, and say, man, is this really what I'm doing? Because I don't see in Scripture where there's a possibility for you not to be doing these things and to be okay calling yourself a child of God, okay? Because if that was truly the case, there are references in in the Scriptures because we know we're not... I'm not going to dive into it, but you know we're not called to judge people, right? That, all, that means we're not called to judge sinners, meaning let God be the ultimate judge of sinners. But what that does mean, if, if, if Ben comes up to me, I've been using Ben too much, if Savannah comes up to me and she goes, I'm a born-again believer and I have a relationship with Christ and, and um, you know, I, I really enjoy being here, and then literally she starts just cussing at me and she keeps, uh, her mouth is foul and she starts saying things. And I'm like, whoa, girl, hey, you remember, you said you were a, you're a follower of a Christ. You're bearing her image, okay? With that being said, did I just jump too far there? Did I throw y'all off? Sorry. Okay. All right, sorry. Whoa, girl, whoa, girl. All right. With that being said, because she herself chosen to identify her with Christ, I myself identify myself with Christ, then that does give me a right as an act of love to say, hey, Savannah, you know you said you're a follower of Christ. You know, I, you really probably shouldn't be talking that way. Maybe you need to. Does that make sense? That's really where that comes into play. Does that make sense? I don't know if that tied into what we were that hit? Okay. Alright. John chapter 21 verse number 15. Verse number 15. Does anyone remember where Peter was at when Jesus was going through all the trials and it looked like Jesus was going to the cross? What was Peter doing? Does anyone remember? By the fire. By the fire. He was denying Christ. Okay. So he denied Christ. How many times? Three. Three times. Now here we go in verse number 15 when Jesus is uh, readdressing Peter after the crucifixion, he's, and he rose again. In verse number 15, what does it say, Nikki? When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, Yes, Lord, 
You know that I love you. And he said to him, Feed my lambs. Verse number 15, uh, Peter, after he uh, denied Christ and Jesus was risen from the dead, there was a point in time where Peter goes back to his old lifestyle, meaning he went back to being a fisherman. And all of a sudden, he goes back to being a fisherman, and him and his the people who he was with had a bad night fishing. They didn't catch anything, and they were struggling. Then Jesus appears, basically, and says, throw your nets on the other side. They throw the nets, and they can't help. There's so many fish. And so now they're on the sea. They're on the shore. And all the fish are there, and they're cooking up. They're having breakfast, breakfast with Jesus. And now Jesus is addressing Peter. And so when he says, Simon, son of Jonas, do you love me more than these? He's saying, do you love me more than this fish? Do you love me more than your old lifestyle? Do you love me more than the sin that you used to be involved with? Do you love me now that you're risen in Christ to put to death the old self, Peter? And Peter responds quite like we would always respond even when we're in sin or not with sin, but we're born again believers. Well, yeah, Jesus, you know I love you. I'm I'm, I'm saved. And Jesus directly just doesn't take the answer of, okay, you've given your life to Christ. What does Jesus directly tell him to do? Be my lambs. Feed my lambs. This is important because we talked about as born-again believers, as disciples, we bear fruit, right? And what do we do with our fruit? We share it. So what does Jesus tell Peter? If you really love me, you would have fruit to share. You would have uh, been a true disciple maker and you would be discipling others, Peter. Okay? So it keeps going in verse number 16. Go ahead and keep reading, Nikki. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. All right, same thing, verse number 17. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. So what does Jesus say? If you truly, Peter, are saying that you love me, then what would you be doing? Feeding the sheep, feeding the flock, discipling others, bearing fruit that shares towards others. So point number six, to you to be a disciple maker... You must love like Christ. You must love like Christ. You might be saying, well, how did you get love like Christ? Because Christ does not just love with words. Christ loved by action. And we can say all we want that we love each other and that we really want the best for our family members and we really would like for so-and-so to get saved. But if we don't show and demonstrate love towards them, it really does not matter. They're not going to see Christ in that. Okay. Uh, last, let's go to the last point. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We're getting close to the end. It's the last point. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. John chapter 17. We are so close to finishing up. You guys have done so good. The key is to being a disciple maker. I really like this passage because it is a prayer that Jesus prays. And if your Bible has titles before it, you see there's a section where it says Jesus prays for himself. There's a section where it says Jesus prays for his disciples. And then there's a section that Jesus prays for future believers. It's very cool. This is right before the Garden of Gethsemane. This is right before Jesus goes to the cross. And I think it's very important for us to see how Jesus prayed for his disciples, how Jesus interceded on behalf of his disciples... Because how Jesus prayed for the disciples is really how we should be. Does that make sense? So, 
And you can also go through the end of it. We're only going to do the section where it's talking about the disciples, but you really can do the whole chapter. I'm going to read it quick. Y'all follow with me. In verse number six, it says, I have manifested your name unto the men which you gave me out of the world. Thine were there, and they gavest me them, and they have kept your word. Verse number seven, now they have known that all things whatsoever you have given me are theirs. For I have given unto them the words which you gave me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them, I pray not for the world, but I pray for them which you have given me, for they are thine. What is Jesus basically praying for these disciples? Meaning Jesus, I mean meaning God, they have been growing, they have been understanding, and what does he tell them? What, what does he pray for them? What? What does it say? He's not praying for the world, but for those who have given me because they are yours. I really like that because he's specifically just praying for the disciples. His prayer is not, I just pray for those who are saved to go help other people get saved. Meaning when he was praying, he specifically had the disciples on his mind. So we should pray specifically. We should pray specifically. Very good, Amelia, that's good. All right, verse number 10. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but you are in the world, and I have come to thee, Holy Father. Keep through thine own name those which you have given me, that they may be one as we are one. Remember, Jesus is about to go to the cross. Jesus is about to uh, pay the price for our sins. He's going to take our place, and he's going to rise from the dead. But then, is Jesus going to stay on earth? Is Jesus still on earth right now? No, he ascended up to heaven, right? So this is important because Jesus now, this is the final point in disciple-making. The final point in disciple-making. Make sure I say the point exactly how I want to. Final point. Is you must be willing... to send them on their own. You must be willing to send the people you're discipling on their own. If you are not discipling them in a way that at some point they can stand on their own, that at their own point that they're making disciples, then you have failed as a true disciple maker. Jesus is acknowledging here that he will no longer be here, but what is he saying? God, prepare them for when I'm gone. They have heard all the words. They know all the things. They are ready. They're, I am sending them out. I will not be with them physically like I have been, but the Holy Spirit's going to be with them. And they will know what to do, okay? So you have to be willing to send them out as we keep going through the passage. I think we'll see in verse number 16 as we drop right there. He's still talking about the disciples. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As you have sent me into the world, even so I what? What does it say in verse number 18? As you have sent me into the world, even so I send them. Jesus, not willing to keep his disciples under his wing, not willing for the disciples to only act when he's around. Jesus says, you know what? There's going to come a point where they're going to have to go out. They're going to have to make stands for themselves. They're going to have to profess Christ for themselves without me being around. And God, I'm praying for them to be ready when, when they do so. Okay? That's cool when you think about it. As a disciple maker, we cannot just keep and corral them and be like, all right, well, I only want you to do things when you're around me. And listen, if you do something good, just remember to tell me because I'm right here. You have to be willing, a disciple maker, to send them out. Okay? And that's got to be very difficult. Because in our mind, we're always going to have that idea of they're not ready. Or they're going to fail. Okay? And then you need to backtrack and tell yourself, were you not ready? Did you not fail? But if you have taught them everything that Jesus has so taught you, then you've done your part, okay, in disciple making. The last thing I was going to show you guys, I was going to go through this passage um, in 1 Timothy, if you just, just for your own sake, in 1 Timothy, or 2 Timothy, 
2 Timothy 2, 1 through 2. If you don't want to flip there, it's no big deal. I'm just going to read them for you guys just so that you can see. Because in the Gospels we see it was taught what it would look like to be a disciple. But I want you to see in the early church that they did what Jesus commanded them to do. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. I'm just going to read these to you guys just so you can see uh, that the early church did the same thing. They followed with God's will in regards to disciples and disciple making. Verse number 2 it says, And these things you have heard of me and among many witnesses. The same commit you to faithful men who shall be able to teach... Others also. Teach others also. You also have a reference in 1 Timothy, meaning that they taught them and now they're ready to teach others. You also have in 1 Timothy, I think it's cool, 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 10 through 11. I think it's a cool reference here. For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach because we trust in the living God who is the Savior of all men, specifically of those that believe. I do think it's cool when you think about Jesus' last words, and we'll close with this in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations. What does it say? Uh, teaching them. So you baptize them and teaching them to observe all things, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. Go ye therefore and make disciples. Then later what a disciple maker does is at some point he teaches them to what? Disciple others. This is why I think it's cool. And what does it also say? Uh, to make go. Let's say that verse one more time. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And what's the next phrase? Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. This is cool. In First Timothy chapter four, verses ten through eleven, it says, "For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, specifically of those that believe." In verse number eleven, it's very cool. This is what said: "These things." Command and teach. The early church was all about disciple making. Why aren't we about disciple making, right? So again, the ball is in your court. You have those keys to what it looks like to be a disciple maker. With that being said...